This podcast is brought to you by Touch a Life. Welcome to Happy Homes and Gardens. I'm your host. My name is Daphne Royce. I am a real estate broker, architecture, and interior designer. We all love to see new houses. Residential home styles generally change every ten years because homeowners are always looking for new trends, technological features, and individual creativity. Mason Hammer Builders mm-hmm. is construction company based locally in San Francisco Bay Area, focused on high-end homes, many located in Peninsula.、Mm-hmm. JT Metarregas is here to share the latest trends and all you need to know. To build your dream home, welcome, JT. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Daphne. So, tell us what you do and who you are. So,、uh, I'm JT Matarangas, and I'm a partner here at Mason Hammer Builders, and we are a high-end residential contractor and developer.、Uh, we build for clients' brand new homes, and we also build homes for ourselves and sell them.、Uh, we're sort of a one-stop shop. We work with、uh, tons of architects. We have our own structural engineers, designers. Uh, civil engineers, soils,、uh, the whole team、uh, works. We work well with them all. Okay. And how long have you guys been in the business? And、uh, how you started your company? So、uh, I have a partner, Rodney Edmiston. Rodney's been in the business probably forty-five years, and I've been in the business probably thirty-five years. So、uh, we both started when we were teenagers in construction. I went through college, and he went right into the trades out of high school. And we've had Mason Hammer Builders for、uh, since two thousand nine. Wow, that's quite a years that you have to start business together. Yes. Well, I understand you used to do commercial management projects. Yes. What made you change to residential, and what was the biggest challenges? So when I graduated from college, I was in a civil engineer. I had a civil engineering degree. And I went into the industrial commercial side of construction, working for projects. Like Caltrans and building bridges and freeways and dams,、uh, and the management style that I learned was doing complicated critical path method schedules and very detailed budgets and cost controls for these public agencies. We had to do a lot of paperwork. I did that for ten years, and then in two thousand, I switched to a construction management company, managing projects for clients. And we did a lot of the dot-com campuses and some hospitals in the early 2000s.、Uh, same sort of very complicated, multi-million-dollar projects. And during that time, some of the board members of these private companies would ask me about their residential project that they were doing on the side. And a lot of them didn't have schedules, didn't have very detailed budgets. Uh, and oftentimes they would tell me the, the projects were overrunning in time, overrunning in cost, and they were very frustrated. So I learned at that point that the residential market had a real gap, a, a need for managing the way we do for commercials for the residential projects. So I started doing that in early 2005,、uh, being a construction manager for high-end residential projects. And then I met Rodney、uh, two years thereafter. Uh, the biggest difference from commercial to residential is the residential is so much more personal. Commercial, you'll be arguing with a client or arguing with a subcontractor, and then at three thirty the bell rings and you're done, and you guys may go off do your own thing. In the residential side, 
it's personal. These are your, the, your clients' homes that they're building. This is their lives. So if I manage their expectations properly, you know, over, over deliver and under promise, tell them it'll be longer, finish sooner, tell them it'll cost more fit, and it'll cost less. At the end, they're so overjoyed uh, that it's so rewarding that you've got a project. I'll drive through a neighborhood with my kids and I'll say, I built that home, I'll build that home, I built that home. And the projects that I see are, are beautiful, the projects that we do are beautiful. And we still get Christmas cards from our clients, we get invited to parties from our clients. We become part of their family when you build them a home and that's very rewarding. We, Rodney and I both love what we do, we do it every day. We say that if we won the lottery, we'd still be doing what we're doing. Well, you really have a passion for it. We enjoy. The residential is so much fun. Being outside, building with great people, great projects, great architects. It's fun. We enjoy it tremendously. Sounds like commercial and residential have a different cultures on how they handle construction projects. They do. The, the commercial is more business. Business as usual. Whereas the residential is just much more personal. It's part of their lives that you become part of their lives. Yeah. Since you're in this industry for a while, what have you seen that most popular trends that your clients likes it? Uh, most of the trends that we see in the last couple of years are, are more the contemporary style projects. Uh, the younger generations like the iPhone, the, the MacBooks, the clean, sleek lines of, of these products, and they want to see that in their homes. So we eliminate a lot of the gingerbread that you used to see in houses. We no longer do crown molding or trim. We'll do a flush baseboards, our granite countertops, waterfall over the edge and cascade down to the floor. There's a lot of uh, porcelain tile that are beautiful designs. They can get really fantastic designs with these tile. Uh, a, lot, a lot of the structures are mostly glass now. Uh, we'll eliminate a lot of the walls, so the interior framing of the of the building is mostly steel, which makes it much more complicated. But living in California, we have the advantage of the beautiful climate, so we want to take advantage of that with the walls that open up to the outside, uh, and just having these beautiful inside outside spaces. For the steel framing and the wood framing, what are the differences? Well, traditionally, when you build a, a wood-framed house, you have carpenters that will frame the whole entire house. And the carpenters have been framing houses for thousands and thousands of years. Now that we have these huge walls of glass, we have to build it almost like a skyscraper. Mm -hmm. Like there's steel beams coming out of the ground. There's steel all four corners of, of the roof. And carpenters can't do that. So we have to bring in different trades and the iron workers who will actually put the steel together and then you have to blend the steel structure to the wood surrounding it. So then all the wood, all the steel beams get covered in wood and you have that kind of both trades coming together. So it makes it much more complicated. In addition, our windows go from wall to wall. And so you no longer have, wood can be shaved or added to really easily. Steel cannot be shaved. And so if you have a window going from steel to steel and the window's ordered a little too big, you have a very difficult time moving the steel beams, the steel posts. So for those mostly glass windows as well, mm -hmm. 
do they use a double pin or triple pin for the energy? Um, Correct. With Title 24, the more glass you have, you have to spend more effort on your Title 24, your insulation. So we balance out how big our windows are with the type of insulation we use. All windows are double paned, but yet if we have so much glass, we will go to triple paned windows. Or for some projects that are on a noisy street or back up to a school, we will do triple pane for insulation and for noise. The triple pane really cut down on the noise. We also do increased insulation for our houses so that we can do more glass. So we'll do a combination, a hybrid system where we do spray foam and then in addition to that, we use a conventional bat system. So by combining those, you can get like an R48 ceiling where the code minimum may be R30. So we'll go up and beyond the code so we can get more glass for our insulation. Okay. Um, steel frame versus the wood frame, the, the time that you spend on the construction are the same? The steel is going to add a little bit more complexity, so it will be a bit more time, and it will be more costly because of the two different trades that you're bringing in. But... The, the, the Conversely, the project that you get is so much nicer design. With more glass, you really get to take advantage of the backyard, your, the surrounding area. So even though it may cost a little more and take a little longer, our clients love the designs. Do new type of a style would last? Uh, every 10 years or so, we get different styles. So 10 years ago, we were doing a lot of Tuscan style homes with the clay roofs and the travertine floors, uh, stucco smooth exteriors and tons of crown molding and wood stained doors that were naughty alder. Uh, we did a lot of those in the last 10 to 15 years and that style's come and gone. So this style, it, it, it is trendy right now, but it also goes back to the 60s. The whole modern style originated in the 60s and now it's coming back. So we get a lot of reoccurring designs, and if you wait long enough, I think the style will come back. Okay, okay. So what I understand, the new style is less molding, less decorated yes. compared to last trend, which is 10 years ago. How about the construction costs? Are they similar or are they actually different? The construction costs have gone up, both because of the pandemic and because of the style. So during the pandemic, we saw lumber go up 300%. It tripled in cost. Concrete also went up and steel went up. With gas prices high right now, all of our subcontractors who live in, let's say, Tracy, Modesto, Gilroy, Hollister, the cost of gas increases everything. So costs have gone up in the last two years, but also it's the style that we're doing. Without the gingerbread trim and crown molding, you have less areas to hide some of the imperfections. So without the trim, our walls have to be straighter. And the new design, we're doing 10 foot tall walls, 12 foot tall walls, 17 foot tall walls. So our lumber has to be straighter. So we buy straighter lumber, we buy engineered lumber or kiln dried wood. That cost gets driven up the overall price, but it has to be because if you see a wall that's that tall and it has a little wave to it, if you use wood that was still wet, that'll really show. So we'll use better products because we have less chance of hiding it. You'll notice it, which separates the beginner builders from the advanced builders. It kind of separates us. So we like the more contemporary design because you have less area to hide the imperfections. 
good quality will really show. And I understand the new building code requires some areas to use 100% electric. Um, have you found any challenge for that? There is. Uh, electric furnaces have been around and are very efficient, and we've been using those for probably the last five, 10 years. So there's really no challenge to go into electric furnaces. That's fine. Electric hot water heaters, those do pose a challenge because in the last 10 years, we've gone from tanked hot water heaters to tankless hot water heaters. Tankless, we like they're more efficient. However, right now the technology isn't there yet for electric tanked, tankless heaters. It takes like 80 amps to power an electric tankless heater, which is almost half of what a current house uses electricity. So we've had to go back to, since we have to do electric heater, electric hot water heaters, we've gone back to the tanked electric heaters. So that's a challenge for us because we'd rather use tankless. They're more efficient. The technology hasn't caught up with the code demand for no no gas. There are other issues also. Uh, you know, cooktops. We used to like gas cooktops. Now it has to be induction, which is going to take some getting used to. Uh, and if you want to put a pool in your backyard, spas used to be gas heaters. Mm -hmm. And now with electric, it takes maybe five or six hours to heat up your spa, whereas it used to take you know, 20 minutes. So now if, if you want to use your spa in the outdoors, you have to think about it much, much sooner. Everything will, be, will become secondhand in four or five years, six years. But right now we're facing a little bit of challenge. Okay, I have a couple questions for you, just would you just say. So is the electric hot water heater the same as heat pump hot water heater? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. The heat pumps that we use uh, are, are basically the same. Okay. Yeah. So basically, the furnace is also the heat pump furnace that yes. you yes. references to. Okay. Correct. Go back to the spot. Uh, we cannot no longer use the gas as a source to heat the pool spot. Some jurisdictions are outlawing gas for heating of inside the house, but they're still allowing you to do gas to the outside. So you can still do a gas barbecue and a gas uh, spot heater. However, some jurisdictions like Palo Alto and others are completely outlawing all of gas. So right now it's nice to be able to get gas to a barbecue and a spa. Pretty soon those will be outlawed as well. Okay. Would people ever consider to use a solar panel to generate heat for the spots? You can, uh, I believe. It, it's easier to heat, use solar for your pool heat because the, the temperature of your pool, you want it to be 85 degrees and solar panels can generate that temperature to get the pool to that. But for your spa, a lot of times you want to turn your spa on at night and your solar panels aren't working at night. So this, the solar panels for the spa really don't come into play. Yeah. It's not there yet. I do see a lot of new constructions that has a beautiful light well and basement. So is this going to be good for the earth tree pump tree or this is just something that people want the extra square footage? In the Bay Area especially, cost of land has gone through the roof astronomically. So, so much of your investment if you want to build a new house goes into the cost of the land. and. Because, let's say if you bought a 10,000 square foot house, a lot, the maximum size that most cities allow is somewhere between 30 to 35% of your size of your lot. 
but 10,000 square foot lot, you can build a 3,000 to 3,500 square foot house. What we recommend over our clients is if you go down into a basement, that square footage doesn't count against you. So you can almost double the size of your house by doing a basement. In the old days on the East Coast, a basement was dingy, small, cramped, dark, damp. So most people, when I recommend a basement, they have this idea that a basement is, is not what they want to spend their time. Nowadays, when we build a basement, most of our homes, we specialize in doing basements. So our basements will be at least 10 foot down. So when the ceiling height goes from 8 to 10, you get 20% more volume in that space. Then we do light wells on three to four sides of the house. And our light wells will put in huge movable sliding doors that are 10 foot. So when you walk down into the basement, first off, it's very tall. You'll see natural light coming in from all the directions. We'll do radiant heat. So in the winter, that basement space will be 80 degrees and it'll feel so comfortable. And in the summertime, when you turn off the radiant heat, the basement stays at 60 degrees. So it offsets either way, the basement will feel comfortable. Then when you go from a 3,500 square foot house to maybe a 6,000 square foot house, the extra rooms that you can have in the basement, we typically do great entertaining space. We'll have a game room. We'll have a gymnasium, a workout, home workout. We'll do a, a sauna, a wet sauna or a dry sauna. We will do a wine cellar and a bar. We will do a theater, you know, a great stepped up theater that's 500 square feet. And then we usually do like a laundry room down in the basement. And then we'll do one extra bedroom in the basement that opens up to one of the light wells with a separate entrance. So if you have a college age kid coming back, he can stay down there with some independence or no pair, my pair can stay there. Uh, and then typically for multi-generational houses, we put an elevator in a lot of our projects. That elevator can connect the main level to the basement or a second level. So if the grandparents want to watch a, a, a movie in the theater with their grandkids, they don't have to navigate the stairs. They can take the, the elevator down. So we really see uh, basements in the Bay Area as becoming more commonplace. And the more and more we do them, the more high-end features we'll put down there. All of our clients that live in the houses love the basements. They say they're so glad that they have the basement. And they probably have a more soundproof, right? Oh, the basements are really soundproof. So when we put the theater down in the basement and the kids are with their friends watching, you know, a, a Top Gun movie with the, with the jets screaming by, you can't hear it in any other room. Or if they're playing video games, you know, yelling at their friends while shooting up, uh, yeah, none of that gets heard. It, it becomes their own little oasis and no one else in the house has to hear them. I used to have a neighbor next door to my house. Um, one of the teenagers loved to play drums. Oh. So he's going to basements in the middle of the night. I yeah. can hear society, but hardly. Yeah. yeah. We will do uh, wine cellars. We've done uh, uh, music studios. All of that's great space for a basement. doesn't need windows. It really does well with the 12-inch thick concrete walls. That'll deaden the sound, and it'll keep the temperature constant. So for a music studio, an art studio, or uh, wine, it really makes sense to have it in the basement. And I heard it's good for earthquake anyway, because yes. the foundation is way, way, way deep in the ground. It locks the house into the, the bedrock down below. So when you get a ground shaker and it moves it, if it's a single-story house built on a conventional 
in the olden days, those, those houses could fall off their foundations. Now we secure them with seismic anchors, but even basements are, are doing that more so. It really ties the house into the, into the, into the earth. Let's talk about permits. It's harder to get permits after post-pandemic. Yeah, yes, absolutely. A lot of the jurisdictions that we work with, a lot of the cities here in the Bay Area, uh, they're still working remotely. So a lot of their staff isn't in the office, so it's hard to go into the jurisdictions and check on your permits. Uh, a lot of the cities don't even like you to come in still. Also during the pandemic, some people retired, others left the industry, and a lot of these cities are still understaffed. Even though the pandemic is on the, you know, we're getting out of it, uh, most of the cities are understaffed and working remotely, and that still takes the permit process from, you know, one year doubles it to two years. On a, on a project that we were the developer on, we typically would buy a property and we would say six to eight months to break ground, which is aggressive, but as a developer, that's what we would schedule. For clients, we would typically tell them a year from when they buy a property to break ground, and now those timeframes have doubled. Clients are spending almost two years, some even more, to get permits, and us as a developer, we're about 10 to 12 months. So if you're going to do a project, you need to plan on that. Hopefully it'll get better in the next year or so, but we haven't seen it so far. It's just that the, the agencies are still understaffed. What cities are you mainly covered in the peninsula? Uh, we do a lot of work in Menlo Park, Palo Alto, Los Altos, uh, projects in Atherton, Woodside, Hillsborough, and as far south as Los Altos, uh, Mountain View, Saratoga, Las Gatas. And we in Los Altos Hills. Los Altos Hills, yes. Okay. Also right. Los Altos Hills. Okay, so they all difficult is equally. Yes, some more so than others, but they're all very difficult. Okay. I also like to understand when you build home for clients, mm -hmm. other than the main structure, do you cover like a swimming pool, landscaping, maybe sports courts or accessorized buildings? So what we recommend to our client is to have one person in charge of the whole warranty for your project. So we would hate to have, build a brand new home for a client and then the next year they put their own swimming pool in and then the the pool contractor will tell the owner, well, your gas line is undersized or this and that. They'll point fingers. So it's much better to plan your whole project out from the get-go, whether that's landscaping, water features, sports courts. We do it all. And it's complicated. Nowadays, we integrate all of these amenities like water features, swimming pool spas, landscape lights into the house. So when you walk to the back door, you can press a button and all your landscape lights come onto a certain scene. The water feature will come on. The pool lights will come on. All that needs to be integrated into the house. And the only way to do that is to have one person in charge of the whole project. And, and for a warranty, when something in on a project, if it has an issue, whether the lights won't come on, the pool doesn't come on, we want the, the homeowner to call us and then we'll take care of all of that. Okay. There's no uh finger pointing. You don't call them and they tell you it's someone else. And it sounds like everything's electric mostly. What's the average emptage that people putting in their house these days? For a typical, in the old days, a 200 amp service would serve a, a typical size house. Uh, if we're doing a 3,500 square foot house, we now would recommend a 400 amp service. 
if you get up to a 6,000 square foot house with a pool, and now a lot of our clients are doing ADUs, we recommend a 600 amp, which going from a 400 amp service to a 600 amp is a big step up in PG&E's eyes. It goes from a service mounted on the side of your house to a standalone pedestal that gets quite big and ugly. But the bigger the houses, we recommend the 600 amp. Pools now with multiple pumps and lights and heaters, they require 60 to 80, 100 amps by themselves. And then you get like a pool house or an ADU. We typically dedicate another 100 amps because those smaller structures will have a kitchen. They'll have a range, a refrigerator, a garbage disposal. All of those now require their own circuits. So 600 amp is the way to go on a bigger house with a pool and ADU. And, then, and a major thing now, what's happening to our houses is we're getting delayed with PG&E. PG&E is really uh, a, a critical factor in getting our schedule done. We're finding that the minute we buy a house, a property, we'll have to get PG&E on board immediately because it takes two years minimum and three years sometimes to get service to a new house. So even though it takes 24 months for us to build the house, the last three or four projects, we finished the house and still didn't have permanent power. Twice we've moved clients into a house on temporary power, still waiting for PG&E to come in and service. And it's not getting any better. PG&E is, you know, facing bankrupt. They're facing claims, you know, billions of dollar claims for fires. Uh, so they're going through real budget concerns and downsizing. So we're seeing greater and greater delays with that. So that's something a homeowner really needs to stay on top of. Okay. I understand most of the city has PG&E except Palo Alto. Yes. So is it Palo Alto has same issues? Pal uh, no, Palo Alto has their own power and they're really great to work with for that reason. Okay. Uh, but I think they're one of the only few agencies that provides their own power. Most of them, you, you, uh, you go to PG&E for power. Okay, I didn't know that would actually last that long. Two, three years. And it's getting worse. But can you move into the house even though without you, with the temporary power? You can, but not all of your features will work. In the summertime, not all of your conditioners will work because, you know, a house is designed for 400 amps. Most of our temporary services are 200 amps. So you'll have to pick and choose what services will function on temporary power. It's not ideal. But most of our clients said they'd rather move into their house with tip power than rent or live somewhere else. What's the percentage of your clients actually adding solar panels? Well, now with the new code, we have to we have to design all of our houses for some solar panels. So they make you, the cities make you, I think it's a California law that you have to design for the minimum, which is maybe like four to six panels, which is not enough to power a house completely, but it's a start. So then we'll go in and convince our owners, you know, to really go the extra cost and provide power, enough panels to power your house with off the grid. It's a large initial cost, but if you're planning to live in the house for at least six years, you'll get that cost back. And with uh, power outages that we're getting in the summer, we really recommend backup. And if you have solar panels, you can put in backup batteries that will power your house for weeks on end during the summer. It's really the way to go. Some of our clients even go the extra mile and put in a backup generator. 
because if you lose power in the winter time, you won't have enough solar power to, to generate power, so then the generator will kick on. So backup battery is the same like a power wall? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's really a nice way of providing power, backup power to a house during the summer. Okay. Do you have other technology other than the solar panel? Maybe the roof tiles or the film or other type of... The there is the roof tiles that are going in. We have yet to do that. We've had three or four clients express an interest, uh, but the backlog in clients uh, from the subcontractors who do those power roofs, uh, we haven't seen it yet. It's going to be a phenomenal technology. It's still relatively new, and we don't advise our clients to be the guinea pigs for that. We'd rather wait and let this get all the kinks ironed out before we put it on our clients' houses. Okay. But there are new technologies, and they're fantastic. Yeah, well, I just find that we don't develop as fast as we can catch yes. the technologies. Yeah, yeah. the technology sometimes is quicker than, than the capacity that we have for it. How long does it take the typical construction compared to before the pandemic? Well, during the pandemic, our construction was really delayed because throughout the project, we have to bring in inspectors to make sure the framing is done right, the wiring is done right. And the inspectors were very concerned with COVID, as they should be. So we would have to have the house vacant. We would have it cleaned. We wouldn't have anybody there when they would come. So that really delayed that whole inspection process. We also wouldn't have full crews working because we didn't want to have different subcontractors intermingling. Since the, the vaccines, our construction is pretty much back on track. So for a smaller size house for us, which is let's say 3,500 square foot, we'll build that in 12 to 14 months. As you get more complex, uh, a five to 6,000 square foot house with a pool and an ADU probably takes us 16 to 18 months. And some of our bigger homes, which are 10,000 square foot, they'll take between 18 to 20 months. Um, and these are the more complex uh, contemporary style with the steel framing and all the glass. If we did a, you know, a track house you know, with, with conventional framing, not modern design, those go quicker, you know, the in the eight to ten months range, ten okay. to twelve months. Okay, so that's pretty standard. Yeah, I, I think they're back to that now. You'll see in when you go out of the Bay Area to let's say Gilroy or Tracy, those homes will go up very quickly. They'll, so they'll, they're back on track to eight months, twelve months, ten months, something like that. And uh, do you finding materials are harder to get or the supply chain is a little bit challenge for you? It, it still is. It still is. We are having a hard time. A lot of our products come from Europe. We'll get some tiles or slabs that come from Europe. Some of our light fixtures come from China. Some of our granite comes from Turkey or, or the Middle East. Uh, those getting freight across from Europe or Asia to the United States is very, very difficult still. A lot of the containers will sit in customs for two or three months. We're doing a modern style house in Menlo Park right now that the windows are coming from Switzerland and the cabinets are coming from Germany. And we're planning those to take nine to 10 months to get here. So 
we've just broken ground on the house and we've already ordered the windows and cabinets, which is going to make our framing much more difficult. Because in the old days, you know, five years ago, we would frame the house up, then measure for all the windows and order it because it would take six weeks to get windows. Now it takes six to nine months, which we don't have the time. So we order the windows before we frame the house and we'll actually frame the house to the exact measurements of the windows that are hopefully arriving soon. So if, if, if you could build a dream home, what would it be? Uh, my dream home, uh, what I see when I build homes for our clients and what I would take into my own is probably the indoor-outdoor version uh, of the two. It, it seems uh, on a typical Friday night when I get home from work, I have three kids and they all have their friends over and our great room is just inundated with kids and loud music. They've got their TV shows on. So it typically happens in our household is my wife and I will go out in our backyard and we'll sit, uh, we'll have a fire pit and we'll have a glass of wine. We'll have an outdoor TV and we'll watch sports like a Giants game or a Warriors. And I love doing that. Even in the winter time, I love being outside. So I would do one of these big walls that just slides back and merges the inside and the outside uh, and it combines that indoor-outdoor space. I really like the contemporary design, but my wife feels it's too cold to raise kids in. She thinks it's too antiseptic. She likes the clean, the warmer look. So for design styles, I, we, we clash, my wife and I. So uh, I probably wouldn't focus on that. How do people find you? Try to initiate a new project. Sure, sure. We have a website, uh, masonhammer.com. You can always email me, which is jt at masonhammer.com. So we're very easy to find. The one thing I would say to if to a prospective client who's going to build a home, I would say interview before you hire your architect. Interview three or four contractors, you know, who have built in your neighborhood. Someone that you've seen homes go up or is highly recommended. I would go interview the contractors and see what their cost per square foot to build the type of home and the type of the size of home they want to do. I've had clients hire their architect first, have the house completely designed before going out and get bids, and, and then they can't afford the house that the architect has designed. So I would really recommend. Start with the contractor, get bids from them, find out budgets on what you know what they would what they would charge to do a four thousand square foot contemporary style home. Then, when you hire the architect, you can design to that, and then you can have that contractor giving you estimates as the design progresses. You know, at twenty five percent completion for the design, at fifty percent completion. For me and our clients, we provide that at no cost because I just want them to know what the cost of the house is going to be as the design progresses through. I'd much rather spend two or three estimates with a prospective client than wait for it to be done and see the disappointment when they say, you know, that's too much. I can't afford this house. That's happened before and, and, and it's very sad. So I would recommend them talk to contractors before selecting an architect. I'm not sure also you can secure the time frame that they want to do the construction. Yes, well, right? yes. Builders only have a limited capacity. So you want to get on their schedule. Same thing with our architect. But you know the architect's only for the beginning part of it. You're going to spend a lot more time with your contractor. So you really want to select a, a contractor you feel comfortable with. 
Um, can you briefly touch what is the standard construction versus modern construction cost per square foot? That's a good question. So there's some number of factors. The size of your builder will have an impact. If you go with more of a handyman who doesn't have an office, who works out of his truck and, and his dog, uh, you can have phenomenal quality construction, but what they'll lack is the, that home office supports. You can go with a huge contractor that has 25 employees, but then you're gonna pay a large overhead for them to run that office. So we try to fit in that middle. We have five to six office employees uh, and we have three or four project managers, but we'll be out there, you know, my partner manages the construction and I manage the client. So for the middle of the road, our typical costs for houses start at around $500 a square foot. When you get more into the contemporary fancier designs, they get upwards to seven, $800 a square foot. The bigger ones with the pools and the extensive landscaping, uh, we've seen them go as high as $1,000 a foot. Uh, it, it depends on the complexity, what your architect specifies, and how individual you want the house. If you want products that no one else has seen that come from different countries, the price tends to go up, but they become spectacular houses. Yeah, I do see one house was building right now, almost done. Frank Gehry's design. Oh, okay. They use everything one of a kind. I'm yeah. sure they cost fortune for that house. Yes, okay. yes. All yeah. right. Well, thank you, JP. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, it was my pleasure, Daphne. And that will be really beneficial to my listeners. I hope, I hope it helps them. Thank you. Okay. You have just listened to Tall Radio Podcast. For more podcasts, visit www.touchalife.org. Thank you.